Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 400 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Ed. An F, but I must of you know me by my longer name, and I'm a compulsive eater. And uh, hi, hi guys. And forgive me. I want to thank Rod for asking me to speak. I've been under the weather for a few weeks, and today got very sick. So I'm so happy to be here because just the energy of being in a recu- room of recovering compulsive overeaters is like making me feel better. Mm-hmm. And if someone told me that 23 years ago that just being in a room surrounded by people who so get my disease would actually make me feel physically better, I would have laughed. Um, So I do want to share what it was like, what happened, and what it's like today. And um, I ask a prayer beforehand is that I be a vehicle of God's words and that if you don't hear what you need, that you keep coming back because there's so many people in these rooms that have so much, and uh, I'm a beneficiary of that, and I hope just to carry the message. So, um, what it was like, I didn't know it growing up, but both my parents were active bulimics and my father was a drug addict. All I knew that was that I went to school and it was safe, and I came home and it was chaos. And that it was normal to have ice cream for dinner. It was normal not to have dinner. What I didn't know was that you know, my parents were struggling with their own issues, and so dinner sometimes wasn't there. Um, I remember blowing up a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in the microwave because I also didn't know how to cook. Still don't. Um, But what I did know was that every time I felt angry, I felt like eating a certain food. And every time I felt sad, I felt like eating a certain food. And only in retrospect do I can identify what the feeling is that when I'm angry, I want crunchy, and when I'm sad, I want soft and fluffy. Um, I didn't know that then. All I knew is that that kitchen contained the recipe or the remedy for this tremendous feeling that I had. And I did eat over happiness, sadness, you name it. There wasn't a feeling that didn't accompany, get accompanied by a food. Um, I do believe that in years to come they will discover that this is actually a disease. It's in the DNA. I've never had a problem with that. And that's been my, my awareness from God that... Um, that I was born with it. And I just have to look at my history to see that everyone in our family is obese and bulimics and drug addicts. And I just didn't know that. I thought a drug addict was someone who lives on a corner um, shooting up heroin. It turns out that if you take 60 pills of uppers and downers a day, you're also a drug addict. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I remember very frequently going with my parents on trips, and there would be a pack of pills. Like, just... um, and what I gleaned from that was never, ever smoke a cigarette. Because if I smoked a cigarette, that would be a slippery slope because I didn't want to be an addict. Mm-hmm. But the joke was I already was. Mm-hmm. I was no escaping. It was my illness. Um, and it's also my recovery. And I'm forever grateful for that. Um, you know, everybody has the stories, But I do know that I was recruited for college tennis team and kicked off, asked to leave my brother likes to say, um, because I gained 50 pounds in one year, eating, running 10 miles a day, the volume of the amount of food you have to eat, and I, I remember being in the school cafeteria, 
and you can go back and scoop your own ice cream. And I remember I stopped counting at 16 scoops. And I'm not saying they were the scoops of, like, appropriate size scoops, you know. And I don't even know how this body fit this. Granted, this body didn't look like this body then. Um, and people would constantly comment, oh, my God, he's lost weight. But I never lost weight. I just kept getting bigger. So people, it was really their way of just noting, oh, my God, you're sick, you know, because people wanted to say something, and they couldn't say you gained weight. But I just kept it getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And... Um, what scared me most was that there was no stopping. Like, it wasn't that I was getting bigger and bigger and that I was a size 14. It, it wasn't that. It was that I didn't know, like, the end point. Like, do you stop at a 30? Like, and I remember looking at a catalog to see how high the sizes went up. Because mm-hmm. I, I kept thinking, when, like, do you go from then a 14 to a 16 to an 18 to a 20? Like, when do they stop making clothes for people like me who just, every year, add more weight? Um, and then... What happened, I was sitting with my brother in college, and this was 20, almost 23 years ago, and he said, wow, you are fat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I thought, who says that? Except someone who actually tells you the truth. And my brother at the same time was um, doing drugs, and that's not his story. That's not my story to share of him, but he was actively doing drugs. And we were both witnesses to this violent childhood that we grew up in. Uh, a violence that I always say I saw my father being violent towards us, um, both physically and emotionally, but I saw people being violent towards themselves. So I thought that the idea of being violent towards yourself was part of the human experience. You know, you don't like something, you beat yourself up. You don't like something, you hit someone else. It was like that was how you interacted in the world. And, um, And I remember one night having a dream that I was this shiny red car that had been hit by all these different people. And on that shiny red car, underneath it was this beautiful car. And I don't know what it was about that moment that I woke up and thought, I was born a shiny red car. I wasn't born with all these dents and cracks and accidents. Um, And now I just got to go find that car. Like it's here, I just got to find it. So what happened is, I was in college and I heard there was this thing called OA, I heard about it from my mother, who had come in and out for years, um, and she said to me, I can't get it, but I know you will. And I walked in, and there was this woman who was in her 40s, which to me, at 19, 23, felt like she was ancient. Let's just say I'm older than she was then. And, um, and she was talking about how she was getting a divorce, and she wasn't eating. It was like, What? I don't know anything about marriage or divorce, but you don't eat over something that's painful, joyful. I was like, what? 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 I couldn't even understand what she was saying. And everybody looked like a shiny red car. They were, like, glowing. And I couldn't believe it because I was so comparative of purple. You're fat. You're thin. You're fat. You're thin. Am I thinner than you? Am I fatter than you? And everybody in that room looked beautiful. And I can't believe that everybody had a size perfect. It was just that everybody had ownership and self-possession of who they were and actually loved themselves, which was a foreign feeling to me. Um, so I kept coming back. And I would like to say two months later that I became abstinent and I never, ever stopped being abstinent from that moment. That was not my experience. Um, my experience is that the road has gotten far narrower and far smaller as the years have gone on, which means that 
My first abstinence, I just didn't want to eat popcorn at 2 in the morning. That was my first abstinence, just not to go to the food at 2 in the morning. And now I don't have soda. Like, if someone told me that I was going to have soda, at one point in my abstinence, I drank soda like it was water, like it was good for you. Just because Diet Coke was permitted on my abstinence, and I couldn't get through the day without numbing something with soda. So it's not that I picked a food plan on that day, and that's been my food plan forever. But what I have done is that in 23 years, I have I stopped weighing myself at about 40 pounds heavier than this. So I always say that I've maintained a weight loss of between 35 and 40 pounds. Um, that's actually probably not true. It's probably more. I don't know. I don't care. It's God's business. Um, so what it's like now was that in the 23 years, I've never stopped coming back. And I do a lot of things. I've done the steps. I call my sponsor every day. I've written my food. I still write my food. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I did at the beginning, I still do. Um, and it's given me tremendous freedom. But what I didn't know what hap- that would happen is that I would find that shiny red car. And, um, and that I would actually feel self-love on a daily basis. And then all these, like, external miracles happened. Like... I graduated college. Then I went to graduate school. Then I went and got a big job, and then I got met a husband, which was like, what? I was supposed to get married. Someone would love me, like voluntarily love me, um, and then I voluntarily gained weight to have a baby. I actually handed that one to God, and I did it four times. I have four kids. <laughs> and the fact that I would actually listen to my body and follow instructions by someone else not just a sponsor, but a doctor, someone who's not even in the program, to say, here's what you can and can't eat. And some of the stuff wasn't even on my program. I had never eaten, but I had to eat. And I listened, and guess what? I always tell people this. I gave birth at the exact same weight, and exactly a year to the day, I was the exact same weight that I got pregnant, and I never, ever stepped on a scale. I let my doctor handle the whole thing. The fact that I would give up that kind of control shocks me, because I thought... The way that you are thin and the way that people like you is because you're thin. It was such a distorted thinking. Um, I've lost my father in this program. I've lost my mother in this program. Um, and what I've kept doing is I've kept looking for that big A abstinence, which to me is serenity and peace of mind around everything around food, around relationships, around people, around work, that I would approach things with peace and serenity and let God walk in first. And um, that's been my journey. And it's been really ugly at times. I mean, those of you that know me know that for a year after my mother died, I had to talk about the food for a year. I just had to talk about it. Um, My mother loved a certain food. I never liked it. turns out for a year I had to talk about it talk about it to everyone. Every morning I'd start by talking about chocolate to my sponsor. Let me tell you why chocolate is a breakfast food. And then we would laugh about it. Um, It's not, by the way. It's not. Um, But what I've done is I've kept coming back and I live with a very big God in my life. And that is that God travels with me. I travel for business. God takes care of my children. I have a sick child. Um, And all those things are secondary, because at the core of me is that I'm made in the image of God, 
and that God does not want me destroying myself on a regular basis. And, uh, and I don't. And I don't know how that happened, except it happened here. And it didn't happen. I believe in all the other... Uh, I believe in meds. I believe in psychologists. I believe in psychiatrists. I believe in all those things. But the actual stopping, the action of putting the hand in the food... Actually, the hand wasn't always there. Putting the head in the food... Um, <laughs> only stopped with God in these rooms. And I do believe that God lives wherever we let God in. And I know that God lives very, very close in and around us. And uh, I know it today because I'm sick and it's like I feel better talking to you. And I I literally thought I could not stand for this talk. Um, Just a couple words and I'll open for questions. I'm incredibly grateful. Um, I don't always feel incredibly grateful. Sometimes I feel saucy and sassy and mean. And it's like, why aren't things different? And I don't want them this way. And um, and nothing in my life is perfect, which is that for so long I just tried being perfect. I thought that was the solution, and nothing in my life is perfect. I'm a kind of a B plus, and that's a really good place to be, <laughs> right? I, it's like a really great place to be. Um, I'm told that I'm thin. I don't know what that means. I know that I, I wore 14, and I wear between a 4 and a 6. I don't know what that means. You know, in some countries that would be considered not well. You know, um, what I do know is that <laughs> um, what I do know is that I put food in my body that is nourishing. Not every single moment of every day, but a good 95% of the time, I nourish my body and I don't de- destroy my body. Um, I'm incredibly grateful to all of you. I hope I've shared something that I've given you something. If not, check in with God because God is directly with you. I don't believe that there's an intermediary. Um, but my recovery has been physical, spiritual, and emotional. And sometimes people say, you're not the same person that know me from 20 years ago. And what I always say, I'm actually who I was, God meant me to be. Mm-hmm. I'm actually who I am. It's just I put a lot of junk on top to cover that because I was so afraid of being that. So I'm actually not very different than what I was born like. I'm actually who I am. And that turns out, pretty good. It's pretty good. Hard, difficult. There's still foods after my mother died that talk to me that have never talked to me in years. Um, but you know what? I'm okay. And uh, I look forward, God willing, on a day-to-day basis of being in these rooms and of living a life of serenity and peace and also of joy. So thank you very much. So the question was, how did I get so close to God? And the answer is um, that I have gone away from God, closer to God. I think the expectation that I live very intimately with God is too high for me. Because sometimes I'm really mad at God, and I'm like, you stay outside. You just stay outside, and I will talk to you when I am good and ready. Um, And sometimes God feels very close. Um, But what I have done is I've asked God for everything. So sometimes I'm in a parking lot and I'm like, parking space, just parking space. That's all I want. I just don't want to walk far. I don't feel good today, whatever. I I don't put, and people are like, that's so ridiculous. God is busier than that. God has people in Africa and you're asking for parking spaces. And what I always say is like, if God can only take care of the people in Africa, then you need a bigger God. You know, God can take care of the parking spaces and the people in Africa because God is that big. Um, having said that, like any relationship, we have ups and downs, and um, 
and I find myself often, you know, are you hearing this? Are you aware of this? Um, but as long as I've continued the dialogue, I'm in it. And that's what I always say. I just continue the dialogue. Like, sometimes I try to bless my food before I eat, but sometimes, like, I'm not blessing my food before I eat because I don't feel very close to you, and I don't feel very blessed for the food. Which, it's like, to me, it's like, I'm still talking, right? And God's still listening. So I think the difference is, for me, is that I don't believe that God left the room. Sometimes I do, but I try to bring myself back in, and most people have always brought me back in. My sponsors, you know, and I'll say one word. I've had the same sponsor for 14 years since she died. And um, and then I was, like, for three years testing out sponsors, which was really funny because it was like, um, no, I don't think you're as good as. And finally I let that go, and I've had the same sponsor for four years, and I love her. So or what, did I do the math wrong or right? Or <laughs> I don't know what it is, but then I had some sponsors before my 14-year sponsor. Well, so I laugh about that a lot. How do I make time for program with a big life? Which I always laugh about that because when I, when I for a period of program, and I did – all different food plans within the program and things. When I was younger in program, I was single, and I always went to night meetings because I could. And what I didn't know was there was a whole group of people that go to day meetings, and then I didn't know them in program because they have kids and whatnot. Now I go to meetings during the day, and there's people that I never see at night, and I'm like, oh, my God, you're in the program because I've never been to a night meeting. I think this is the first one in ages. Um, What I've learned for me is that I am a far better mom, far better wife when I make program first. Now, that doesn't mean I always do it, but I hear about it. Maybe not directly for my kids who are like, you need to go to a meeting because they don't have that language, but they always say, like, you need to go do something that makes you saner, mommy. Um, And, like, well, the word that my son uses, less crazy. Um, (laughs) And I've always found that my relationship with my husband is directly proportional to my involvement in recovery. Um, which is interesting because, like, tonight he said, I don't want you to go, you're sick, and it's nighttime, and I want to go to dinner with the kids. And I said, oh, but I want to be a better wife to you. And then he walked me out to the car. <laughs> right? So um, do I've always made time? The other thing I'll say, I've done per- program very imperfectly. I've done years where I've, like, worked the steps. Like, every day I rode on the step, and I was, like, misdisciplined. And then I've had years where I've done the step every week. You know, what I've tried to do is not make an expectation of being perfect. Because that's what got me really messed up in the first place. That if I miss writing for one day, that does not mean that I now will be in the food for the rest of my life and that I'm terrible and I need to confess and feel guilt and all those things because that was not recovery for me. What was recovery was recognizing, oh, today it didn't happen. Tomorrow there's the possibility. Because the old thinking was, I had a cookie, screw it. I'll eat everything in the room. Right, And I could binge everything and everything. I mean, for me, there was no food that was off. You know, people say, I mean, sugar is not a friend to me. Um, but I could binge an apple. I could binge a, I would. I would search, you know, for the biggest apples, the biggest food. And I was like, I don't even like that. It's like now I just put the apples in the thing. I'm not weighing them. And not because I don't, but because I don't pick those apples. I don't choose to look for the largest apple so that that one... Um, I choose to look for what nourishes my body. And it happens to be that actually an apple that's appropriate size, the way they grow, <laughs> is what they were made for humans. Turns out, <laughs> not the ones that they genetically make, it's just t- 10 pounders. Um, so it turns out that, that the earth actually knows what I'm supposed to eat. How did I work the challenge? How have I worked the steps around the challenges of my life? 
of bearing, say, my father was abusive and my mother who saved us and a child that's sick. Um, that's in process. I don't know. Um, I, I do know that it's not some new program. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was a moment when I said to my sponsors, like, maybe there's another something in a way that I haven't found that that would then be the solution. She's like, no, same thing. Kind of mundane. <laughs> same thing, same day, you know. New day, same thing, you know. Um, but I do know that um, what I couldn't do when I was younger was that we lived with a lot of secrets. And I thought no one knew. And it turns out that 20 years later, when I'm very comfortable talking about these things, I'm very private about my anonymity, but very comfortable talking with safe people, um, turns out everybody knew. My best friend's like, did it ever occur to you we weren't allowed to go to your parents' house? Like, did it ever occur to you that my parents didn't let us come over to your house? And it was like, oh, that's why we played at your house all those years. Like, it never occurred to me. But it turns out they all knew that my father was a crazy man. Um, actually, I take that back. He was sick. He has an illness. Um, and he's an, he was an addict. And um, so what I do know is that it's, some, it's not new, but I do know that each new challenge brings new questions. But um, I don't believe God has done these things to me. I believe they exist in the world. And I do believe that God cries when I cry and <coughs> comforts me. And I think God has tremendous sadness through my sadness. And so I don't believe God is testing me or challenging me or trying to teach me something. Because if I believed that, that would be very hard for me to live. Um, and I really don't feel that God. I don't feel God being like, your mother died to teach you a lesson. Screw that. I know enough lessons. Right? <laughs> um, I think my mother died because she got brain cancer, and that's in the world. And, uh, and I had the good fortune of not being a compulsive overeater every day or compulsive overeating, that I was able to be totally present and say goodbye to her in the 18 months she was sick. Um, that's the miracle. Um, and that I can say it out loud, and that I can actually feed her foods that I don't eat and um, and actually take care of her. I mean, that's God working in my life. That I know is God. Um, and the fact that I, they brought a sick amounts of food over, because when someone's sick, people bring food, which is actually a lovely gesture, um, and that it was in the kitchen, and I didn't touch it. I don't know how that happened, but there was sick amounts of food. Um, and, uh, and that I... So that I know. The other, I don't know. I'll let you know when I'm like 90, and I hope to live um, until God decides it's time for me no longer to. So was I able to accept someone who loved me? So if I married, the first guy I dated after I, I wasn't allowed to date the first year in program. Um, it's from an AA thing, and my sponsor was also an AA. But then I dated someone for three years. If I married him today, we would be divorced. <laughs> um, he's a great guy, but he's not who God envisioned for me for my life. Um, and I think what happened was, as I got healthier, the people around me got healthier. They were getting healthy, too. So it's like, oh, this person doesn't work for me anymore. And actually, my, I always have to share the story that um, in high school, I did not, I was not believing what my two best friends were because addicts hang out together because they justify your behavior. <laughs> um, and I was only not bulimic because they were. You know, I, I prided myself on being a little holier than that. That was part of my illness was lack of humility. And... Um, it continues to be, you know. And it um, turns out one of those two friends also got in recovery. And we are better friends than we are today than we've ever been. And um, But when I first started dating my husband, and I knew that it was something quite serious, he asked me to marry him, and the next day I told him I, I wanted to give him the ring back and burst into hysterical tears. And he's like, 
you have some deep, dark secret that you need to tell me. Like, he thought maybe I didn't like men, I liked women. <laughs> like, something like that was truly, like, could not enable us to get married because I was telling a lie to myself. And I was, like, crying and crying, and he's and I'm holding the ring, and he's like, I want you to, you know, what, what could it be? And he's sitting there thinking, like, what could it be? And I said, like, you're not going to want to love me in 10 years or 20 years. Like, I may turn out to be someone in your eyes that you were like, eh! And he's like, it's the risk you'll have to take. Mm-hmm. And it was such a good answer because if he was like, no, I'll love you in 30 years and 40 years, it was like, that wouldn't have helped because it's like, well, I don't know if I'll love me in 40 years, you know? Um, he's like, but I'm willing to take the risk. And um, I love him more and more each day because he loves me as I become more aware of who I am and who I'm not. Um, doesn't mean I always like him. Um, <laughs> and I don't think he always likes me. I'm really okay with that, too. Like, sometimes I, I try not to use any bad words out of, of working on cleanliness, both inside, in language, and in body. But sometimes he's a jerk, and sometimes I'm a real jerk to him. Um, but we're learning how to be better to people. And I do know that I've gotten a person that very much loves himself. Um, shocks me sometimes. And I also have married someone who is not an addict. Um, I don't know how I did that. Because all I knew was addicts. And uh, he does think my family's a little crazy. And he's allowed. You know? Like, he's like, wow. Wow, they're really crazy. And um, and my brother is the only person left standing besides myself that is a witness to our childhood and to our addict life. And sometimes he says to me, like, I can't be with your family. Like, they're really nuts. And um, that's actually kind of released me now. I used to have shame about it. It's like, yeah, we are pretty nuts, you know? There's not many people that would, like, take gallons and gallons of ice cream and eat that for dinner as a family, you know? It's like, no, there aren't many people like that. And no, there's not many people that take 60 pills in a day. But turns out we're okay, you know, because of these rooms. So, and I never thought I'd be in a church. I was raised like a nice Jewish girl. So <laughs> the first 10 years I was always in a church and was like, God, just want you to know I'm still Jewish. I had, to go, I had to remind God like every five minutes that I was in the meeting, like when I walked in and when I walked out, like they haven't converted me yet. But um, I now do believe that we have different pathways to God and, you know, they're marked by different experiences. For some it's through Christianity, through some it's Buddhism, through some it's Judaism, through some it's agnostic, through some, you know, it's just different pathways. We're all going to the same place, you know. What I believe... So would I have the same recovery? I'm just repeating the question. Would I have the same recovery if I didn't have sort of... Um, I don't believe a man. Uh, there's a man in the chair and the gay or gray hair and the whole thing. I don't. That's not, that doesn't work for me. Um, I do. I think that for me, I had to believe in something greater than myself that was not another person. Beyond that, recovery is boundless, right? It's limitless because um, people fail, and I have failed me. Um, but something greater than me, uh, I think the recovery is limitless. And, you know, I've been studying a lot of Bible, and it turns out that people used to invoke God to be in a rock so that they could see God close to them. And I sort of laugh at that, because it's like, can you just imagine standing there at a rock and being like, I just want to be close to you. It's like, a rock? Like, do you throw your arms around a rock? Um, but I think we've all, you know, 5,000 years, we've had the desire to be close to God. So... What it is, who it is, where it is, is less interesting to me than that it is. That God is here. Um, so if it's the group, you know, that's what it is for now. And, you know, I always say there's 88 names for God in the Bible, at least. 
That means that each one of us has a different relationship, at least. And, and the Bible was telling us that. So, who knows? I don't know what it is. I'll let you know when uh, in the next life. <laughs> Thanks. Okay.